Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And welcome to this episode of What the Politics. Today's topic, we will be exploring a few of the Senate candidates for the 2022 election. Now, Senator Richard Burr is retiring, and he is the current Republican senator, and he's been serving since 2005. And today we have a professor from West Carolina University, but I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Sure. Yeah. My name is Chris Cooper. I'm a Madison Distinguished Professor of Political Science and Public Affairs at Western Carolina University. So that is um, about 45 minutes west of Asheville. And if you're listening from the east, yes, you can go west of Asheville 45 minutes and still be in the state of North Carolina. Um, I study uh, state politics and electoral politics and um, uh, spend a lot of time thinking about the ins and outs of North Carolina politics, both electorally and from a policymaking perspective. Perfect. So you are the perfect guest for today's uh, podcast topic, which is looking at the Senate candidates for the 2020, 2022 election race. Um, so a little bit of background information. The current um, candidate that is retiring is, re- or not candidate, excuse me. The current senator that is retiring is Richard Byrne. He's a Republican that's been serving since 2005. What are some notable achievements from him? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. I mean, so Richard Burr is a really interesting senator. He is, um, you know, he's he's a Republican. He's a conservative. There's no doubt about that. Nobody would question that fact. But he was never one of the um, Republicans in the Senate who was the most behind President Trump. As a matter of fact, he made some um, some sort of critical comments about President Trump at various times uh, during the last four years, most notably after January 6th. And so the Republican Party in North Carolina actually censored uh, uh, Senator Burr. So it's a pretty unusual step uh, to take for a state party. Um, he tended to be known kind of policymaking-wise for his stance on foreign policy issues, on uh, some issues around defense issues that seem to kind of fit the state of North Carolina. So he is a Really, if you looked up establishment Republican in uh, in the dictionary, I think you'd probably see a picture of uh, Richard Burr, uh, famously not wearing socks, but otherwise uh, presenting as uh, presenting as that. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to some some of the things that he did within the, um, I know he served on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Can mm-hmm. you tell us That's a little right. bit about his um, his tenure during serving on that committee? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is – so what you tend to see are members of Congress um, that tend to specialize in certain areas, right? Mm -hmm. And so they want to find a committee that fits with their areas of specialization, and those Mm -hmm. tend to fit the state, right? So intelligence makes a lot of sense for somebody from North Carolina representing a state with Fort Bragg. Um, So I think on Senate intelligence, he was um, a prominent player. Again, he served for a number of terms, so this Mm -hmm. is not kind of a one-in and one-out sort of – U.S. Senator. This is somebody who made um, kind of an establishment uh, career in Washington. Mm -hmm. And so now let's get into the elections. So 
the the Senate elections for next year are leaning Republican, but it seems like it's going to be a pretty close race if, if the last Senate race between Tom Tillis and Cal Cunningham can tell us anything. what Do, do you see that same yeah. kind of uh, – as this being a battleground state? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think North Carolina is as purple as they come. Um, mm-hmm. It is going to be a battleground state, right? This is a state that, – that doesn't mean that everybody is a moderate in the state, right? Quite the opposite. It means we got a whole lot of folks on the left and we've got a whole lot of folks on the right. And so that averages to something that looks an awful lot like moderation or looks an awful lot like a purple state. There's not too many states in the country that have, for example, um, a Democratic governor and a Republican state legislature. So we are a state that is hard to figure out. I think in, in 2020, a lot of folks made um, a lot of hay about the fact that, that Georgia, of course, went for Biden and North Carolina went for Trump. But the reality is that of all the states that went for Trump in this last election, um, his margin was the smallest in North Carolina of any of them. So we were in some ways the bluest of the red states. And I definitely see that happening again in this statewide election. I think it's going to be incredibly close. It's going to be incredibly expensive. And you can see that already with the huge number of candidates that we already have who've declared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and, you know, the three Republican candidates that are really the front runners for this um, position um, on the Republican side, of course, um, you know, a lot of them, they've been in the news uh, going down to visit President Trump in Florida and kind of, you know, get his encouragement or endorsements, if you will. So how common is that, you know, for for um, Senate uh, leaders or people trying to get into these seats to go to former presidents and, and kind of ask for their endorsements? It's a great question. And, you know, I think it's not... I mean, the way it's working with Trump is different than it's worked with other former presidents, and you can probably apply that to really just about anything in American politics right now, right? I mean, Trump is um, – you know, look, he plays politics differently than anybody else. Of course Democrats want to get uh, Barack Obama's endorsement. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but you don't read articles about um, North Carolina Senate candidates flying to Chicago to try to meet with Obama and try to make this thing work. And that is exactly what you see with Trump. Trump is clearly likes people to come to him to uh, to seek his advice, to seek his endorsement. And I think the Republican side is going to be really interesting. Mark Walker and Ted Budd are very, very similar candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, they've each been in Congress about the same number of years. They're approximately the same age. They're both white males. And then we have these uh, sort of ideological scoring metrics that political scientists use. So basically say how liberal or conservative a member of Congress is. And Bud and Walker have almost identical ideological scores. In other words, their voting patterns when they were in Congress were about the same. And so it's going to be really interesting to see Walker and Bud try to create distance between themselves and then out here kind of in, in the corner, you've got Pat McCrory, of course, the former governor of North Carolina, former uh, mayor of the city of Charlotte, who is probably going to be carving out a slightly different path. Mm, yeah, and I want to do I do want to dive into a little more about um, Pat, Mc, Pat McCrory, because um, just of his um, political history uh, in, in the Senate already or excuse me, in the um, 
as governor. governor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with House Bill 2, that was such a huge controversy um, when he signed yeah. that into law. So how do you think people are kind of responding to him wanting to, you know, re-elect himself or run for this seat? Let, let's explain sure. House Bill 2 and then we'll yes. get into that. Okay, question. yeah, sure. Could you explain yeah. House Bill 2 for, for our audience who don't sure. know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll give it a shot, right? So House Bill Two is um, you may you may have, you might have heard of the bathroom bill, right? So that's House Bill Two. It became sort of derisively known as the bathroom bill. Um, there's obviously you could have a whole podcast. Heck, you could probably have a whole podcast series just on HB Two or House Bill Two and what yeah. that meant. But it's become this kind of rallying cry for um, for folks in, in both parties, but particularly folks on the left, they tend to use it as this kind of sign of government overreach and of the Republican Party um, trying to legislate tran- transgendered rights in a way that, that violate, they would argue, civil rights of, of transgendered folks. Um, at the time, you had, um, again, an overwhelmingly Republican General Assembly in North Carolina. Pat McCrory was our Republican governor, and McCrory, the Republican General Assembly, signed into law. Um, and then, excuse me, uh, passed it out of the legislature. McCory then signed it into law. And so um, I think it's, it is very unpopular. It's since been, um, uh, you know, we don't, we don't use it anymore as a law. And so I think McCory could be saddled with that. At the same time, Bud and Walker are extremely conservative, arguably more conservative than Pat McCory. So although McCory will be saddled with HB2, it's not like you've got these other two Republicans who are going to say, hey, I was never behind this thing in the first place. Is is McQuarrie, is he unpopular among the, the Republican Party or is he someone that's been favorable for the past few years? Yeah, it's a it's a great question with a with a, a complicated answer. I'm not trying to weasel out, but mm-hmm. I think it really depends on which Republicans you're talking about. So mm-hmm. there's this really interesting dynamic, right? So of course we expect the Republican General Assembly to not like Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. But really, there seemed to be a lot of tension at the time between the general the Republican General Assembly and Republican Pat McCrory. They didn't always get along. Mm-hmm. Pat McCrory's got rough edges. He's got sharp elbows. He's somebody who has not gotten along with everybody. And so this really interesting dynamic has developed with Bud and Walker really not criticizing each other too much, but they're both more than happy to criticize McCrory. Mm -hmm. And so uh, some Republicans obviously really like Pat McCrory, think he's a great candidate, think he's the right person for the job at the right time. He has um, had a talk radio show for the last uh, few years in Charlotte, so he's been working on his rhetorical chops. Um, (laughs) But other folks still uh, still aren't a fan and, and think that he didn't do enough when he was governor. So it's a it's a simple and smart question with kind of a complicated answer. Mm-hmm. And so one of the rumored candidates for the Republican Party that seems in a, and seems to be favorable among North Carolinians is Laura Trump. Um, right. Is, is, do you see that being a po- – I mean we haven't really heard anything about – she hasn't declared that she's running or anything like that, but there's been rumors flying around. What do you think about those rumors? Yeah, they sure has, right? She's clearly enjoying uh, the, the rumors. So she's now doing a show, I believe, on Fox News, um, where she has you know, at least said, hey, I'm thinking about this. Um, the specter of Trump, any Trump, is certainly looming over this campaign. There was some discussion that Bud might not enter in, Ted Bud, mm-hmm. if Lara Trump was going to declare. So if Lara Trump does decide to run, I think this whole thing is going to be turned upside down 
almost immediately. So Lara Trump, for folks who don't know, is from North Carolina. She graduated from NC State, so she does have some uh, some roots in the Tar Heel State. And uh, I think she's at least enjoying the, the notion that she could run and would have a really good chance, I think. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and when is that, that cutoff for when people can announce their, their bid um, for this election? Ooh. Yeah, so we've got well, – yeah, it's a great question. Again, we've got a good while. So it is – I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but it is into 2022. So, I mean, it's, it's mm, yeah. going to be a while that we're going to be hearing this conversation. My guess is Lara Trump will never say that she's not going to run just mm-hmm. to kind of leave this out as a tease and see what happens. And mm-hmm. so um, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And, again, particularly the dynamic with Bud Walker and Lara Trump. Bud and Walker, again, both visited uh, President Trump, went to Mar-a-Lago, want to get the Trump endorsement. If Trump gives one of them his endorsement, I think that should be a signal to North Carolinians that, hey, Lara Trump's not getting in because mm-hmm. clearly he's not going to endorse somebody over his own daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, I want to I go ahead and move into some of the um, Democratic candidates as well. Um, Mm -hmm. There's, you know, five that have already announced their bid. Is there one in particular that really stands out to you um, as a as an expert in this, um, as someone that you think would be, you know, a really good candidate or someone who really uh, might be in the running? Yeah. So if I can sort of uh, foul tip your question a little, and and I'll give you two, because I think this is the dynamic to watch on the Democratic side, right? So I hate to mention one without the other. Mm -hmm. So the the two would be um, in alphabetical order, so I'm fair, Sherry Beasley and Jeff Jackson. So Mm -hmm. Sherry Beasley, of course, um, has been on the North Carolina um, State Supreme Court. She ran and lost by like 450 some odd votes um, to Paul Newby in the North Carolina State Supreme court justice, chief justice race last time. So she's run a statewide office, shown she can do well. She is um, so experienced. Um, She's a person of color, obviously a woman of color um, in a Democratic primary in 2022. Uh, Jeff Jackson, on the other hand, is a North Carolina um, uh, a member of the General Assembly. Uh, he is uh, in the reserves. He's become kind of a social media star, right? So mm-hmm. he's the guy that you tend to see if you're, if you're on Facebook. He's the one who tends to be giving speeches. Um, he's really social media savvy. His announcement video was, you know, his kid packing up all the suitcases to get on the road. I mean, he really puts his family um uh, front and center. And so in Jackson, you're seeing more of the type of candidate I think the Democrats have run in the past. Um, and in Beasley, you're seeing, again, a woman of color in 2022 with uh, a lot of statewide shops. And so a lot of folks think that Jackson Beasley dynamic is going to be the thing to watch on the Democratic side. And I would agree. Mm, that's interesting because w- one of the candidates is, is Erica Smith, and she ran mm-hmm. last time, lost against Cal Cunningham. Him, um, and she wasn't really popular in 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 this. Or kind of what you're saying, she's not very popular in this upcoming election, which is shocking to me, considering that she's run before in the last right. candidacy, and she's making another run this year, and it's not looking too favorable for her. 
Yeah, no, I think Erica Smith's a really interesting candidate. So, again, she served in the General Assembly as well. So she's Mm -hmm. got legislative experience. She ran against Cal Cunningham last time, of course. um, As I would imagine most folks of this podcast know, but just in case, he just moved to the state. Cal Cunningham um, was in the North County General Assembly at one point, ran for office a few times, ran this last time, um, had a scandal that started with some sexting, and then it turns out it was more than just uh, more than just digital, shall we say, yeah. and, uh, and eventually lost the, the, the campaign. Right. And Erica Smith was the Democratic candidate running against him. I think a lot of Democrats had buyer's remorse. They said, mm-hmm. hey, look, what if we had just gone for Erica Smith in the first place instead of wasting our time with Cal Cunningham, who it later turned out we had the scandal around? Um, and so, yes, Erica Smith is also out there. She's been running consistently longer than Beasley. But I think it's worth noting right when Beasley announced she had a big list of very, very prominent North Carolina lawmakers who were endorsing her from the beginning. And mm-hmm. so I think her play is kind of, hey, I'm the one who's getting the party establishment behind me. Jeff Jackson's play is much more, I'm the grassroots candidate who is going to visit all 100 counties and communicate with you directly on social media. And then Erica Smith, of course, is saying, hey, I'm the one who has experience running for this seat. Mm -hmm. And so I think those will be probably the the basic rhetorical strategies that we'll see play out. I want to know your thoughts on um, Rhett Newton as well. You know, he hasn't held any higher office before, um, but he, he basically has said he was kind of inspired to run for this election after the um, January 6th insurrection. Um, right. It, Rhett Newton, is he the Beaufort mayor? Yes, Beaufort okay. mayor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. No, it is interesting, right? And, and so I think playing directly into, you know, the – you know the the one date that we're going to remember from uh, from this year, uh, decades from now. Um, I just think it's going to be tough. I mean, look, it's way early. Candidates come out of nowhere. Things happen. We find out. We find random texts on people's phones. I mean, anything can happen in an election. But it is going to be really tough, I think, for anybody to break through the noise of these really prominent candidates who are already running already raising huge amounts of money. So on the Democratic side, I think getting beyond Beasley and Jackson's can be really tough. Mm. And on the Republican side, unless your name happens to be Trump, I think it's also going to be difficult to break through the noise of of Bud and Walker and McCrory. Mm -hmm. And I I talked to Jackson, I think right after he announces his candidacy. And I think one of the things that could possibly fuel if, if it's a real close race between Beasley and Jackson, I think one of the things that could fuel Jackson's run is the fact that he is he has this huge presence on social media and a, he re, he's reaching out to a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if if a lot of these colleges here in North Carolina, if a lot of the students seem to register in the state of North Carolina and vote, I could, I could see Jackson and especially with his veteran background, um, I could see or I don't know if he's still serving because I remember his wife campaign for him um at Mm -hmm. one point because he was he was serving um i think he is a national guard member currently right yeah Mm -hmm. so i could i mean because of his you know his experience with service and his pull towards students i could see him pulling out this election at least for for the democratic ticket um so that's going to be real interesting to, to watch but Beasley, again, he, she reaches out to the grassroots true people of North Carolina. At mm-hmm. least that's what I'm seeing. Um, so so let's talk about some of the issues kind of fueling this election yeah. and, and going towards 
what candidate on either side might be might be running on. Um, what are what, what are a few issues that are high, that highlight this race? Yeah, no, that's you know I think so much of 2022. Um, is still going to be a referendum on Trump in some ways. Mm. I mean, certainly on the Republican side, right? I mean, you've got, you know, between Bud and Walker and McCrory, I think kind of who can appeal to, to Trump the most. Um, on the Democratic side, I think a lot of it will be, you know, I think just what you're talking about very smartly, right? So you've got, um, you know, Beasley, uh, you know, clearly saying, hey, look, we've tried the the traditional white male candidate like we've mm-hmm. seen for years, and and that's not working so well. And so I, I think a play to to identity politics, and I don't mean that as a pejorative or a negative. I mean that actually mm-hmm. is, is, hey, we want more diversity in politics. You know, I think Beasley, Beasley and Erica Smith will be making that play. Clearly, mm-hmm. Beasley will be talking about her experience on the Supreme Court and, and running for statewide office before and winning statewide office before. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackson, I think you're right, is going to be making a play for his – for his youth on the policy side, on the primaries, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of difference between any of these candidates. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes mm-hmm. time to the general election, certainly we're going to see um, you know, very, very stark differences on, uh, on policy, kind of on traditional liberal, conservative, democratic lines. We're going to see the Democratic candidates continue to talk about health care. We're going to see the Democratic candidates continue to talk about education, kind of these traditional Democratic issues on the Republican side, I think they're going to say, hey, look, I'm a candidate who can be stronger on defense and who can, again, finish what I think a lot of Republicans liked about the Trump campaign, perhaps without some of the uh, sharper edges. Mm -hmm. Do you see uh, the Republican candidates going hard against um, the governor in particular with their criticisms? Because I already know the General Assembly is, has been kind mm-hmm. of, you know, putting uh, the governor on notice with the way that he's been handling the pandemic and some of his powers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we'll see some of that, but I think the difference in powers um, may mean that we don't see that a lot, right? What I mean by that is, of course, the U.S. senators just don't have as much interaction with a governor mm-hmm. as um, as a General Assembly member would. So it makes a whole lot of sense for a member of the General Assembly to say, hey, look, we'd be passing you know, all the bills you want if it weren't for this pesky governor and his veto power. Um, that isn't as easy of a play for somebody running for U.S. Senate. So mm-hmm. I see it being less about Roy Cooper and more about some of these national Democratic politicians, certainly um, – you know, Nancy, you can raise some money going against Nancy Pelosi in North Carolina, and I think we'll see the Republicans do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Nancy and Chuck show, as uh, as Trump called it, will continue to come up. Um, so it may be more about these national figures and the nationalization of North Carolina politics than it will be about any of our kind of at-home actors. Mm-hmm. And another kind of going more outside of the politics and the issues, uh, not the politics, the candidates and the issues, but still within politics, is this redistricting that's supposed to happen. Can you can yeah. you talk a little bit um, about the background of redistricting in North Carolina and what's what's expected to happen from this year? Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. redistricting in North Carolina, first of all, you know, we should know this is a process – that um, uh, that you know happens every ten years. It also happens at other times, technically, but I think in general general terms, it happens every ten years. And so uh, it's to deal with population shifts. So sometimes people say, "Why why do we just not redistrict in the first place?" And the answer is because people move, 
people are born and people pass away and not in the same places that they were before, right? So as mm-hmm. people move, we need to adjust to have about one person, one vote. So uh, we are going to receive one more. We've earned one more member of Congress. So there's 435 members of the House, and we don't ever increase that ever since the early 1900s. We hold that steady. So as one state loses in population, another state gains um, so in North Carolina, we've gained in population enough to get another member of Congress. That means we'll move from 13 to 14 U.S. House districts in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to stick a 14th district somewhere in our state and then think of it like dropping a big boulder in the middle of a lake. Sure, the impact is the biggest right where it hits, but it's going to go all the way to the edge of the lake. And so all of our districts in North Carolina, the congressional side, are going to have to shift Sometimes forget. Also, we got 170 state legislative or general assembly districts that also need to shift in response to population change. Mm -hmm. The way we do it in North Carolina is that the general assembly essentially draws up these new lines within, you know, they have some basic requirements to reach. Um, And our governor, and this is really important, our governor does not have veto power over those districts. So in a lot of states, with it would have a Republican General Assembly and a Democratic governor, the Democratic governor could say, hey, I don't like these districts, veto it. That doesn't happen here. And so every sign is the Republicans will try to draw lines to benefit themselves, to get the most seats they can possibly. They will be the first to point out that's exactly what the Democrats did when they were in charge of the General Assembly. Um, so they're going to redraw all these lines once our the data are released at a low enough level of geography to be able to draw these lines. So mm-hmm. for your average person, what does that mean? It may mean that your house district changes. It may mean that your state legislative district changes, and it definitely means that the state of North Carolina will have one more member of Congress and one more electoral college vote after 2022. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this election is, you know, a a year away in 2022. So is there anything specifically, any specific topics or issues or, you know, things on social media that people should be watching over the next year closely as we get, um, you know, closer to this election? Is there anything people should be specifically paying attention to? Oh, yeah, I love that question. I mean, you know, part of what I would hope people pay attention to is this, you know, I'll jump back to the U.S. Senate race, but, um, but you know, the state politics, kind of what's happening at our state level. The General Assembly is supposed to pass a new budget this year. There's a whole lot that's going to happen there. I would ask people to pay attention to the redistricting process. It's going to get complicated, but it's really going to matter for how your vote is represented. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or you're just agnostic about politics, your life is going to be demanded demonstrably different because of the redistricting process. I think that's key. In terms of the U.S. Senate races, um, I would say the primary is going to matter a lot. So sometimes the primary is kind of a fait accompli, right? We know what's going to happen in the primary. The the front runner is going to win. I don't know what's going to happen in these primaries. The the Democratic one is going to – you've got very prominent people running for office. We've talked about three of them. Uh, the Republican side, you've got three very prominent folks running for office. You have the possibility of a Trump entering, and then you have a host of other folks that we haven't even talked about that have already declared. So – do pay attention, but don't wait till the general election. Do pay attention to the primary. And remember, if you're listening to this and you're an unaffiliated voter, 
you get to choose which primary you want to vote in, the Democratic primary or the Republican primary. So pay attention to the primary. A lot of the action is going to happen there. And so we have one more question for you, and we call this one our personality question. (laughs) (laughs) And so you said you live, uh, are your, your 45 minutes uh, from Asheville, is that correct? Uh That's right. So it's the summertime and people are going to be vacationing and Asheville is one of the most popular destinations Mm -hmm. to visit. Um, For someone who's not from Asheville and uh, who's not from the area and will be visiting for a vacation, what is (laughs) one place that they should visit or eat at or do around that area? Oh, man. One is so hard. Can I can I foul tip it and give you a few? Anyone? Yeah, go, yeah, go uh, uh, all right, great. So if you're into beer, and why would you come to Asheville if you're not? Uh, <laughs> I would say uh, try burial. Although I know they have now a burial location um, also in the Triangle, but the entire south slope of Asheville. I mean, you can walk uh, to more breweries than you can count. Um, on the food side, I'm a big fan of a place called Vivian, which is in uh, the River Arts District, which is a little more off the beaten path, and it tends to be a place you don't always see highlighted in all the tourist magazines. Um, so, look, let's be honest. You're going to go to the Biltmore. You are going to drive in the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the Pisgah Inn. You're going to do those kind of big things, but I would encourage you to to try a couple of those places folks don't tend to go to as often. I also encourage you to go to some of the small towns outside of Asheville. Silva is a cool, funky little town. Um, Waynesville has some really good restaurants. Um, uh, Brevard is a really neat place. If you like to mountain bike, head out there and go to DuPont, um, which is near Brevard. There's so many good things to do. Um, so that is my too long answer to your very brief question where you asked me for one thing. Well, that's exciting. No, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I've got that, great options yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. That wraps up, wraps up this episode of What the Politics. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Good. Yeah, enjoyed talking to y'all. Mm-hmm. Have a good right. day. You, you too. too. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up this episode of What the Politics. We release new episodes every Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, at WNCT.com under the Features tab on the WNCT Podcast Network. We had a great conversation, and like our guest said, continue to watch this over the next year. This 2022 election is going to come faster than you know it, so be sure to be watching these candidates and these issues over the next year. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.